We are in the second week of a three-week series on mental illness and stigma and care in the church. And I have selected, for reasons that will become more clear in a few minutes, uh, Psalm 139 as today's passage. Feel free to read along or simply listen. It's a little bit longer, uh, but it is a good one. For the choir director, a Psalm of David. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell on the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me. Your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. That's something. On Tuesday night, uh, I was in the men's prison uh, preaching there, and I read this passage. This sermon's much different than what I shared with that church. But I paused in the same spot and I said, darkness and light are the same to God. And one of the gentlemen just shouted out, that's good news because sometimes darkness is all you got. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Let's pray. Dear God, please speak to us now, please. Speak to our hearts. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, um, did you catch what I missed? If you're reading along, you probably had an advantage. There were three verses I skipped over. Did you catch that? Preacher, what are you doing? These verses verses are often overlooked and skipped. They're dark. They speak of hatred. They speak of a hope that people would be destroyed by God. I also, in these verses, sense deep pain and hurt. I sense vengeance and suffering as well. 
Here's what I skipped. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? I hate them with total hatred. Yes, I do. Your enemies are my enemies. The reality is these verses are often skipped over by preachers and teachers. I don't know if you've noticed that over the years. Just last year, I heard one of my favorite preachers in the country preach on this psalm. And uh, it was a great sermon, powerful sermon. Uh, These verses were not read. Even the Revised Common Lectionary does not include these verses when Psalm 139 is to be read in the church. Now, I don't want to be too critical here. I know that decisions have to be made when you're going to uh, preach a sermon, and unless you're going to preach for an hour and a half, could you imagine? (laughs) I don't even like listening to me that much. Unless you're going to preach for an hour and a half, decisions have to be made. But I do think the tendency to skip over verses like this does highlight a tendency in the church, a tendency of Christians and preachers to skip over things that are messy and difficult and dark. Skipping these verses an example is an example of ignoring the things that make us uncomfortable, uh, not to face difficult things in Scripture, and by doing this, we also end up neglecting the painful realities in life. Phyllis Tribble is an Old Testament Bible scholar, and for a long time she struggled with how the the, the book of Judges ends. Maybe you know how it ends. The ending of that book is a story about a horrible act of violence against a woman at the hands of men. Professor Tribble struggled with that story for many years. What can be redeemable about such a story and such violence with no justice? Once, she was teaching on the book of Judges, read that story, even though she was conflicted by it. After her lecture, a young woman approached her and said, Professor Tribble, I want to thank you for sharing that story about that woman in the book of Judges. I never knew my story was in the Bible. It is difficult to face certain things, like poverty, Racism, abortion, bigotry, the list could go on. Because they're tough. And the temptation is, let's just not go there. The problem, of course, is that these issues have deeply impacted people's lives. Deeply. And so a preacher is sometimes forced to make a choice. Do you go there? Knowing that some will be offended? Do you go there knowing you are not equipped to navigate these waters? Do you go there even at the risk of being seen as too political? Or do you ignore the pain and the suffering of the people that God has asked you to serve? And I will admit I have not figured it all out. I wish I have. But I do believe that when it comes to mental illness, and this is true of other issues as well, silence isn't helping anybody 
And when a life has been impacted by mental illness, that is a passage in a person's life that should not be ignored or skipped over. Last week I spoke about the stigma that exists on mental illness. I shared that it is referred to uh, as the no-casserole disease. Maybe you remember that. This idea that for so many other things and painful things in life, we bring casserole and comfort, and with mental illness, that isn't always the case. I spoke of the stigma of taking medication for some, and I placed my insulin on the table. Um, I was surprised by how many of you shared with me how powerful of a moment that was for you. If you haven't had a chance to hear that message, I would encourage you to go on the website, our website, and listen to it. It's there. Today, I want to talk about becoming a safe, welcoming place where where people whose lives have been impacted by mental illness feel like they belong. That they do not need to hide mental illness of, that they have or a family member or a friend. Now this message will only scratch the surface. Much more needs to be said and I am hopeful that we as a church will continue to move in that direction. But for today, let me make a few comments on how we as a church can cultivate being a safe, non-judgmental, compassionate place for those whose lives have been impacted by mental illness. First and foremost, I talked about this last week too, but that we talk about it. In her very helpful book, Troubled Minds, Amy Simpson shares that while 80% This is a study she cites. 80% of church leaders believe that mental illness is real, treatable, and manageable, caused by genetic, biological, and environmental factors. 80%. I think not quite 100, but it's a majority. Still, about 12% of those same leaders said that mental illness is open. um, Only 12% said that mental illness is openly discussed in healthy ways in their church. So there's a lot of room for growth here. I think that one of the important steps here, and this may be a little unfair, but I think it's true, is it will take a courageous step for people to share their stories. I talked about the stigma of mental illness last week. Mental illness can be such a difficult road for those who have it and for family members and friends who have it. It can be confusing. Questions like, why is this happening? What did I do wrong? How do we live with this? Who can we share this with? And last week I raised my hand and I admitted that the silence uh, on this issue in this specific church starts with me. I just haven't preached it before. And this is going to change. And I'm committed to working with leadership here and staff to find more ways to open up this conversation, to provide safe, compassionate places for stories of mental illness to be shared. But this is going to take courage, a courage from the Holy Spirit. It's going to take strength. 
Last week, I also shared that a quarter of us in this room will be diagnosed with a mental illness at some point in our lives. Add to this family, friends of those with mental illness, and there's likely maybe nobody in this room whose life has not been impacted by mental illness in some way. Cultivating a culture of talking about mental illness will be greatly aided by the courage of those who will choose to be vulnerable and take the risk and to share their story. And I have had so many of you share with me your story a little bit this past week, and I applaud you, and I'm just proud of you, and I'm um, proud to be the pastor of this church with such courageous people like yourselves. Far from being... Oh, I want to back up. As I said last week, that this kind of testimony and sharing will be a model for other people. It will model the power of revealing our brokenness like Jesus did in showing his scars to his disciples. And far from being weak or shameful, through the lens of God's wisdom, revealing brokenness is inviting to others. It builds faith. It encourages others to know that they're not alone. In a word, it is powerful. And so, the courage uh, to share our stories. Another important step to cultivating a safe and compassionate place is listening. Listening without judgment. Listening, not as an expert. Listening with compassion and love. Listening with a commitment to learn, not to teach. This requires Humility. Uh, I asked a therapist recently if there was one thing I should say in this series on mental illness, what should that one thing be? The response of this person was humility. We don't know what it's like to walk in the shoes of another person. We must be humble. When it comes to being a friend to those whose lives are impacted by mental illness, that's what we need. I shared last week uh, about my type 1 diabetes, and again, I, I, I fully know that mental illness and diabetes are not the same thing. But when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I was amazed at how many experts on diabetes were in my life. I was just amazed. They came out of the woodwork. I'm talking sleep experts insulin experts, dietitians. I was surrounded by endocrinologists all over the place. It was, I had no idea. I had people advising me to take less insulin than my doctor told me to take. Uh, people comparing my treatment with that of their cousin's best friend's sister, right? You name it. I tell you what, if you're looking for an interesting social experiment, Start eating a huge piece of pie, and the person watching you, look at them and say, I'm a diabetic. <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> I shouldn't be so cynical. The truth is, there was one person I did want advice from, beyond my doctor. There was. It was a cousin of mine. She, like me... <clears throat> was living with type 1 diabetes. She had been managing hers for years before I developed it, and so I was so curious about what advice she would have for me on these matters. I so looked forward to hearing what she was going to say, but she surprised me. 
when we finally had the chance to talk, the first thing she said to me, how do you like your doctor? No one had ever asked me that, except for another doctor. I said, I think he's pretty cool. And then she said, needles kind of suck, huh? I said, yeah, they do. And then she said, so are you getting lots of advice from other people, or is it just me? (laughs) What I've learned is that it is often true that a well-thought, caring question has way more power to connect with another person and their heart than advice, no matter how good the advice is. We do need doctors, and sometimes I do want advice, but more often than that, I'm looking for some understanding. Maybe you can relate to that. I read an article recently from Time Magazine about how people can help friends and family who have depression, anxiety, or other mental illness. Uh, The article was super helpful. Here's just a little bit of what they talked about. They said that most of the time the error is a sin of omission, not commission. In other words, the fact that we are afraid to talk about it so we don't bring it up at all um, communicates pretty loudly that this isn't something we should talk about. Uh, they, They said that getting someone to talk about a mental illness, that's not the goal. The goal is to demonstrate to our friend or a family member that we care about them, that we love them, and that we want them to know what we want to be a friend. And when someone does take the courage, the courageous step to share, that's not the time for advice. I guess I kind of already covered that. This was interesting. One of the most powerful things we can do is to admit we don't know much about it. I don't really know a whole lot about depression. I don't know a lot about obsessive-compulsive disorder. What can you teach me about it? And finally, they said it's important to kind of break the awkward silence with a compassionate, well-thought question. Finally, I want to offer this as a way for us to cultivate a place of safety and a place of belonging in, the ch- in this church, is that we be, a, we be a people not obsessed with normal. Last week I talked about it in terms of perfection. Do you know what I mean? There are a lot of places that have an obsession with normal. We want our kids to be normal. Oh, we want our parents to be normal. We want life to be normal. We just want a normal church for crying out, crying out loud. We want normal faith, a normal home, a normal job. It reminds me of this great scene from the movie As Good As It Gets. Helen Hunt's character is uh, struggling with this new relationship that's developing with Jack Nicholas's, uh, Jack Nicholas's character, and his character has obsessive compulsive disorder. He and and Hunt's character are sort of kind of starting to date. And Helen Hunt is having a really tough time with this. She's very torn. And she's talking with her mom. And her mom says, well, what do you want? And she says, I just want 
a normal boyfriend. And mom looks at her daughter with such compassion and she says, Honey, that doesn't exist. (laughs) Turns out, normal is simply a setting on the dryer and the dishwasher. (laughs) None of us are normal. The obsession with normal causes churches and us to create boundaries we don't even know we're really creating, really. And these boundaries create subtle messages about who fits in and who doesn't. And and if someone doesn't fit in, then they don't belong. This is not the gospel. These boundaries, are they determine who gets to be full members, who gets to sort of kind of part of be a member, and who cannot. Uh, You know, sometimes a sermon sticks with you. Maybe not in this church, but in, in, in life. About 15 years ago, I heard such a sermon for me. It was titled, Where Are All the Tax Collectors? Where Are All the Prostitutes? It was a sermon about who gets to come to church. It was a sermon about who do we accept. And the sermon definitely challenged our ideas of normal church. Because the people who sat around the table with Jesus were not considered pure people in the day of Jesus. In fact, critics had a big problem with Jesus having meals with them at all. Purity was threatened. But for Jesus, God's welcome was more important. Think about this. This is a whole sermon in and of itself. Maybe someday I'll preach it. But think about this. Jesus could have said... I desire mercy and sacrifice. But that's not what he said. Jesus said, go learn what it means. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Wow. If we follow Jesus, where are all the people who need a place to belong? I hope it's all of us, but there are others. If we follow Jesus, where are the people longing for community and not finding it out in the world? Because when Jesus walked this earth, that's who sat at his table. Jesus said that it is not the healthy who need a doctor. And so through these 15 years, that sermon's title has stuck with me. If if this place is the table of Jesus, where are the tax collectors? Where are the prostitutes? The most important and effective step that a church must take to care for those with mental illness is to talk about mental health struggles in compassionate and informed ways. And this is my hope and a vision I have for this church, that we would be such a place, that we would share, that we'd have the courage to do so, that we would listen with humility, that we would not be conformed to the patterns of this world and what is acceptable and what is normal, but that we would be transformed by the Spirit of Jesus. Tuesday night, I said something like that, and the church there, all those men screamed out, amen. It was kind of fun. 
Welcome back, you guys. Next week, uh, I'm excited that Karen Nelson will be sharing on the topic of self-care. So, to be continued, let's pray. God, I imagine there are many things I should have said that were not said. And so I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak those things. God, I imagine that, oh man, God, I know so many of us, mental illness is a part of our lives and the lives of those we love so much. And so I do, I ask for your guidance, for you know us wherever we go. Your thoughts about us are too much for us to even comprehend. And so I pray for healing. I pray for treatment that is effective. I pray for love and compassion. I pray for courage. I pray that um, those of us who have chronic disease, that you would show us how to take ownership where we need to take ownership. Show us how to tell our stories. I pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen.